I'm Pat Hyben, and over the past 25 years, I've sold over 7,000 homes, selling over a billion dollars in volume. In 2010, I sold my team business to my top agent and went on book tour promoting my book, Six Steps to Seven Figures, a real estate professional's guide to building wealth and creating your destiny. That book went on to become a New York Times bestseller. Now I live off the passive income streams from the real estate I bought with commissions I earned as a full-time agent. And I am committed to giving back to the real estate industry as so many mentors of mine have given back to me. On this show, we'll interview the world's best agents, brokers, coaches, and investors to help you make more commissions and create the life you deserve. Okay, Rockstar Nation, boy, we have a super duper guest today. You know, we've had a lot of guests in the past that have talked about, you know, taking their investing to the next level in real estate. And by that, I mean, you know, it is easy as real estate agents to walk our talk, to to buy houses that we see are good deals in in our day-to-day lives, but it, there's some difficulty when it comes to taking the little green houses and the monopoly uh, effect, if we're playing a live game of monopoly, taking the little green houses, grouping up four of them, selling them, and 1031 in them into a red hotel, into your first big red hotel. And I met a guy, Charles Dobbins, who kind of specializes in this, essentially. Basically, he advises people and coaches people how to get out of the little green home business and into the big red hotel business, uh, to use Monopoly speak. Basically, hyper-focusing on multifamily, hyper-focusing on apartments. And I'm going to ask him today how exactly you guys should be doing this and what are some pitfalls to look out for and what are some correct numbers to invest in and to keep in mind when you're doing this. So without further ado, Charles Dobbins, welcome to Pat Hyben Interviews Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, Pat, how are you? Hey, Charles, why don't you give a uh, rundown on yourself uh, so everybody can get to know you better? Sure. I'm a uh, located out in the Boston area. I'm an attorney in Massachusetts, and my entire practice is focused on working with new investors uh, and helping them buy apartments the right way. I'm a, also an owner operator myself. I own my own property management company. I owned uh, right now we have about 400 units in our our uh, business, and um, I've owned as many as uh, 800. To, you know, when you add it up, probably over twenty million dollars of uh, of real estate uh, all around the country, and so this is what I do. And when I first changed the focus of my law practice onto working with new investors, it was primarily because I was being approached by so many new investors who were trying to get into this business, and I looked at it and said they're doing it all wrong. And I said I want to really just spend my time helping people get into this great business the right way. Wow, that's great. That's great. You're essentially an expert, right, on multifamily. Yeah. And I, and I love experts. And beware, I'm going to ask you expert 
questions which require <laughs> expert opinions. So uh, go ahead. That's what you up. get with the title, buddy. So okay, so okay, so let's just um, let, let's get some meat and potatoes here, just from the jump start here. I want to know if you're do. Let's say let's say one of our listeners has, or several of them have, say four houses, five houses in their local area uh, that they can sell, right? Yeah. And lump together and get a down payment, or maybe even one house that they can sell and lump together and get a down payment for a multifamily. What should be the first multifamily you should buy? Okay. The first off, the one question that I always get from people is where should I buy? And they have this this idea that they need to be buying in emerging markets all over the country. Listen, if you were able to be successful with those five homes in your backyard, buy the multifamily in your backyard as well, and you'll be just as successful as long as you buy it at the right price. Now, my as I always teach, the way to build this business, the way to do this business the right way is to build it slowly. If you've never done it before, the worst thing you can do is get yourself into a big, huge deal and try to run it. So in my advice to you that you just asked me is buy a 20-unit. Start off with a small pro- smaller property, a 20-unit property. As I teach my clients uh, in my, my program, How to Get to 1,000 Apartment Units in Five Years, start the first year with a goal of 20 units. That's it. That's all you've got to do, and you are on your way to achieving 1,000 units. You know, as they always say, you know, you, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Mm-hmm. Start off small and do it right. Don't okay. think that you're going to go steal, you know, run this business. Right, go right, ahead. right. So, okay, cool. So let's let's use that 20 unit as an example. Let's use round numbers. Let's say it costs a half a million bucks, right? And yeah. so I'm going to say, and, and so that we're speaking the same language and everyone's on the same page, that you're buying it for half a million bucks. You're putting 20% down because you've sold a couple of houses and you have a hundred grand, right? So 20% down, we're going to use the equation of cash on cash, which is the return that you're going to get on your down payment, on your cash, not on the total value, which would be a cap rate. We're going to stay away from that. We're going to go cash on cash. What return should you get before you pull the trigger? Should you feel confident you're going to get on that hundred grand? What cash on cash do you recommend? Okay, well, that, that once again, as the attorney, I always give the, it seems the, the exact same answer. The answer is it depends. Now, remember, any type of return is, is also, you also have to take into consideration. What do you do? What do you do personally? Okay, I look for B-class assets. A B-class asset is a property that was built in the 1985 or so and newer. Uh, I look for things that, like with pitched roofs, individually metered, separate entrances. Those are the types of properties that I look for. Those are properties that I have found in my experience to be easy to manage. Okay, let, me, not- let me stop you right there. Okay, so first of all, number one, pitched roofs. Why? Okay, have you ever owned a flat roof? No. You never should. Okay, so the, so no brainer, right? For for rainwater. Exactly. Second thing, yeah. individually metered. Talk to me about that. Okay, now the thing about individually metered, and this is important, they can be individually metered, but the landlord still pays utilities. I don't want that. I want to buy a property where the tenants pay the utilities because whenever I have owned a property where the tenants and the utility companies were in partnership against me, I always lost. 
So let the tenants pay the utilities. You'll never have to worry about what the what the weather's doing outside. I'm I'm but, I'm a hundred percent in agreement on that. I've owned some multifamilies myself where I had to pay the utilities an utmost disaster. Disaster. Now we're getting into um, there's certain cities, which by the way, something to look into. I know this is the, the, the case in Cleveland. I know this is the case in Baltimore, where it, it's a socialist system with regards to utilities. So turning off water is considered inhumane. So the landlord actually is responsible for the water, even though the lease says that the tenant is responsible for it. If the tenant doesn't pay it, the landlord has to pay it. They won't turn yeah. it off on the tenant. So you guys got to watch out for that. You may be buying into some cities where you are the person paying the utilities, even though the utilities aren't in your name or uh, even though your lease says the tenant pays it. Okay. And the third thing you said, pitched roofs, you said utilities in the tenant's name. Uh, yep. What was the third thing? Well, separate entrances is what I look for. Now, that the reason for separate like no, entrances— No common hallway, you mean? Exactly. There's mm. so many different reasons for that. Loitering, trash, uh, additional cost of cleaning it up. Also, crime. Uh, that's where kids hang out. Uh, but more importantly, and this is something else, is the type of asset that I'm looking to buy— uh, the type of person that, that lives in those properties, they're looking for separate entrances. They want to have that look and feel that this is their own home that they're walking into uh, instead of walking into a dorm building. So that's the, that's another reason for why I look for separate entrances. Those are the, the uh, basic criteria that I use. That's my typical elevator speech to a broker when I'm looking for property. And uh, so I, I, that's, I have it down pat pretty much uh, okay. when I'm looking at. So you get, you get a place, you get a 20 unit with those three things. You're looking for 10%, 12% or 15% cash on cash. Pick one, Charles. Yeah, I go for the 10 to 12, 15. You're looking, that's a risky deal that you're looking at a riskier deal. Unless you get an absolute steal, then you wonder why you got the steal. But if you know, 10 to 12 is typically what I'm looking for because I have to raise the, the, I have to syndicate the deal. And so therefore I have to get the money in the door and I have to pay that investor some money that uh, he's, you know, that he, he wants uh, to make the deal work it worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Or in this case, if you're putting a hundred grand into 500, you're not syndicating anything. This is someone just doing it themselves. Oh, so correct. guys, what okay. Charles yeah. is saying is, is you put a hundred grand down that you got from selling your little green houses and after expenses, after management, after taxes, you know, everything right. that right. you are profiting $12,000 a year net, which is a thousand a month, right? on your hundred grand investment a thousand a month net 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 meaning on your hundred thousand investment that's what he's saying okay let me add to that because the beauty of multifamily is that that's not the only way you get paid what you're asking about is just the cash flow every month off the property yeah, that's the, i'm not talking about the internal rate of return which would include yeah. depreciation and pay down principal well, well, pay down yeah Right. So, and but also appreciation, depreciation, the uh, mortgage pay down, but also, and this is something else that I teach, is the property management fee. Now, I own my own property management company, and I have found early on when I hired property management companies, nobody loves your baby as much as you do. So, as I got bigger and as I added more more units, 
I took on the property management responsibilities. Even though I'm running a law practice here in Massachusetts, I could still run those businesses because I'd set them up properly. And that money, that property management fee, like you said, uh, when you were counting all the different expenses that, that involved in, in running this property, one of the expenses is a property management fee. And I, after, after I got to a certain point, that fee started going directly into my pocket. That was another way to get paid. You, in the you, you mean you opened your own property management company? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so what's the most you should pay a property management company? Oh, it all depends upon the size of the property. Uh, you know, you, I've seen them everywhere from four, typically four to six percent. Um, you know, I've seen them as high as eight to ten percent for smaller properties. But typically, but for, for this the, for this twenty unit we're talking about, for five hundred thousand with a hundred thousand down, what should you be paying? You know, you should be looking between six to ten percent, depending upon what the company does for you. And the problem is not so much in the percentage that they're looking to get paid. The problem is in the details. You've got to read the fine print. These pro smaller property management companies will start whacking you for everything. They you get a, they get a phone call on a Sunday to go out there and do something on the property. You get a a uh, you know uh, a bill for uh, t uh, double. Time, and then you know at a certain rate that you've already predetermined, and that extra those extra charges can kill you. So you've got to keep your eye on those extra charges with some of these smaller property management companies. Yeah, absolutely. I know I pay six and a half percent on mine. I have an in-house guy that does it. Certainly, the you know there's a lot if you're going with just a single house, it could be you know like you said as much as ten percent. Exactly. Um, yeah, uh, we had a great show on. Uh, disruptive technologies in property management. If you go to hybendigital.com, just type in property management. Uh, that was a great show. So, so Charles, now that, that was awesome. I love what you said about, you know, the specifics you look for. What are, you know, some mistakes that people are making when they're buying their first multifamily unit, whether it's a triplex, a 20plex, or a 100plex? Yeah. Okay. The number one mistake the biggest mistake that you can never fix. You can fix everything on a multifamily property. You can fix the counters, the walls, the chimneys, the furnace. You can fix everything with money except one thing, and that is overpaying for the property. If you overpay for the property, you'll never get your money back. And so don't do it. Some of these new investors are so anxious to get into the multifamily business, they're willing to pay retail. They're willing to pay what the seller is asking. And that is usually, I mean, the biggest lie in multifamily is the asking price. So just don't do it. So many of, the, of my clients come from the world of single family investing, and they're experts at knowing what a value is and how to get the right deal. And then they come over to the multifamily side, it's like they lost all their knowledge. It's like, don't do it. Don't overpay for your property. That's the biggest mistake new investors make. Yeah, you you, you make money on the buy. Yeah. <laughs> you make money yeah. when you buy it. The day you buy it, that's when you make money. Hey, guys, the episode I was talking to was um, disruptive technology to increase, to increase profits in rental real estate. That was Linda Libertori. She's number 432. So you guys can uh, – you might be able to hack off a couple percentage points or more by uh, listening to 432. So, okay, so cool. So we know going in what we're looking for. We know what our cash on cash needs to be, right? We know some things yep. not to do, right? I want to talk to you about a syndication because, um, you know, we've had some guests on our show 
who are into crowdfunding and are into syndicating. We've had a couple of syndicators on the show saying their different what their different offerings are. I want you to give us some advice on what is the proper way to vet a syndicator. If let's say you're going to take that same hundred grand and you're going to give it to someone who is raising money to buy, you know, 300 units for $3 million in Tupelo, Mississippi. What, what advice do you have for me if I'm that guy? Oh my gosh, we don't have enough time. Uh, that is such a great question because I've been on both sides of it. And now as the as the uh, attorney and the consultant to these clients, I see people coming to me all the time. Like one of my clients came to the, me the other day. They had $200,000 that they had uh, were being asked to put into an assisted living facility. And I asked for all the documents. Show me the documents. I, you know, as an attorney, I want to see the contracts. And I said, show me everything that this guy has promised you, and I want to see it all in writing. And they couldn't, the guy could not produce any documents. We waited for this joint venture agreement that turned out to be six paragraphs long that did not describe anything. And this was what the guy was hanging his hat on. And I, I ultimately, after looking at it, I said to my clients, I said, you know what? This deal is just not ready for prime time. Don't put your money into it. So they, Okay, so they why, walked- why, why? Why wasn't this deal ready for prime time? Whenever you ask the guy a question, a pointed question about the deal, yeah. he couldn't he couldn't Specifics. come back with the right answer. Exactly. Yeah. Like what? You, like give me what's, oh, what's a common one that you would ask and if the dude can't answer you, you'd be like, you're out of here. Okay, the th- first thing to ask is what category of investor am I in? What cl- what's my class? And show me the operating agreement where it states exactly that that is my class and this is what I'm entitled to. And there was no document so he had basically said in an email, I will pay you 10% you know, on this, on this money. And then you ask, well, okay, show us where in the document it says that you're going to pay me 10%. First off, there wasn't even a document. And then when we started to drill down even further, he hadn't even set up the company or he hadn't even set it up as, a, as a, uh, an so LLC. He, yeah, so so he, was way, he didn't know what the hell he was doing. He, he was yeah. way early. He was raising money. Yeah. Well, let's say we get a professional. Right. Yep. And and I want to get specifics here because we're all about meat and potatoes on this show. And, and sure. I want to give you some examples. I get deals every day. Okay. Yeah. I got, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the realm here. I've got, I got a deal last week from a group actually out of Boston that are investing in some commercial real estate that they're going to put a weed dispensaries in. And those guys are keeping 70% of the upside, meaning 70% of, of what the property goes up in value, as well as 70% of the distributions and paying the investor 8% uh, uh, preferred. And then, uh, you know, 30% of anything above 8%. That's extreme, right? 30% went to investor, 70% went to the syndicators. Now I, I looked over Grant Cardone's who's raising money uh, for one now, I think in Miami, I think he was at 35% to grant 65 to the investors on number one, on the upside, what it goes up in value and number two on the distributions uh, once it's distributed. Now I've had several, I've done a couple of myself under DAPT acquisitions and I'm friends with uh, several different people that, that go anywhere between say generally 20 and 30%, right? 20 and 30% for the people syndicating it 
for the syndicators, 70% to 80% for the investors. What do you recommend to your clients as uh, what is acceptable on a deal like this? Okay. Let me, let me, I'm going to paint a couple of different scenarios here. Uh, the first thing you have to understand when you're sitting down talking to a potential investor in your deal is you've got to understand what I call is the flavor of their money. You have to understand what is it going to take to get this person into the deal? How much of a return are they looking for? If you go to show your grandmother a 15% return, do you think she wants a 15% return or does she want a safe, secure uh, return You know, with a low cap rate that's probably you know, paying off about 4%, but it's a good, solid asset? So you've got to understand the investor that you're well, talking grandma's to. Grandma's not going to know anything about multifamily. I mean – you, so well, don't be surprised. You'd be amazed at. at well, why uh, why know, would Grandma comes, say I'll take four percent instead of fifteen percent? That's where I'm lost. Oh, because she doesn't want to get herself into a risky deal, and fifteen percent return is typically a risky deal. But how does she know the difference? You know, you know what I mean. It's it's real estate apartment buildings as an asset class. Wouldn't wouldn't the four percent and the fifty? What, how how would she determine a risky deal other than? Just by just by the fact of what her return is, you know what I mean. Like, what would you say? Like, the lower the class, I think is what you're saying. Like, if right. you're buying ghetto exactly. properties, yes. a D class property, tell grandma not to buy it. If you're buying A properties, a brand new apartment building, let's say, that's where you would send grandma. Exactly. Okay. That's now exactly. I got you. Now I got you. Yep. So yep. let's that's- say that it's not grandma. Let's okay. say that it's a real estate agent who understands real estate, right? This is yep. their game. They're, there's a big boy uh, clause. There's a big boy understanding here that they're big kids, that they understand real estate. They just sold four houses to get a hundred grand to put into a syndication. They're 42 years old, married, two kids. They, they're accredited investors, so they're worth one, $1 million, right? Okay. Give me the the criteria you would recommend for them. Okay, let's talk specifically about that that deal from the people in Boston that you were just mentioning, because that one's kind of peculiar to me. These guys are offering that they're going to keep seventy percent of the deal and they're going to give you thirty percent. And are, and what's the how does this this marijuana dispensary fit in? Are they are they going to be landlords to the these people? Yeah. Or are they? Yeah, that's, they're going they, to they, own their own real estate. So you're going to so your thirty percent is ownership in the dispensaries and ownership oh, in, okay, in okay. the real estate itself. So it's a real oh. estate and business deal packaged together. And that's oh, okay. why it's extreme. Now, they do pay yeah. 8%. So, you know, you can invest in a dispensary only and you're not going to get a preferred return. You're just going to get a peri type of deal where, you know, you put 20 grand in, if they make 1000, you get 200 bucks. Yeah. Okay. Well, the thing is that in that particular scenario, where you think at the at the at the initial sound of it that they're very greedy, and I, as we always say, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered, and you, at seventy percent, you think you're dealing with a hog. So, but the question then becomes, how much are you getting as a as a cash on cash return that they're projecting on a thirty percent uh, ownership stake in that deal? Is it still a great uh, you know uh, cash on cash return, even though you're only owning thirty uh, percent? And these guys aren't, as I take it. They're not putting up a dime, and they're owning seventy percent. Is that correct? I can't speak to how. I mean, I'm sure they're putting in some money themselves, but you know, generally, the majority. Let's say a lot of it's syndicated. You know, a lot of it is yeah. 
through investors. So I guess yeah. I let, I don't want you to get stuck on that, right? Because yeah. you know yeah. that's what my point was. That's an extreme. My other point was probably if you're lucky to get less than twenty percent, there. You know, if the if the if the syndicator is taking less than twenty percent, he's very generous. He or she is very generous. You know, what do you like to see? Can you pick a number? Pick twenty, yeah. twenty five, or thirty, Charles. Pick no, one. I. I like the Grant Cardone model about the 35%. That typically is how we had stru- we had structured all of our deals is around the 35% uh, structure. So you would uh, we, you would syndicate it. You would take 35. Investor gets yeah. 65, and then do you have a preferred return? Well, yeah. Typically, what we were doing is we were writing the the investor class to have a preferred return of about eight percent. Okay. So, so they get the first eight percent. 35. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's, that's what you're going with. And that's what you're right. telling your clients to look for anything less than that. Obviously you're saying that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. At Rebus university, we take the pain points out of selling real estate, lost a listing to another agent. Never again. The certified listing agent course goes through step-by-step step how eight of the world's top agents close 90 some percent of every listing appointment they go on industry icons like buddy blake and marty hampton have encouraged their entire team to take this course and after they took it themselves we gave them discounts for all their team members and we'll give you that same exact discount if you go to rebusuniversity.com had a listing expire and another agent take it over and then drop the price drastically and it's sold right away yeah me too. That's why I created the Certified Price Reduction course. We've had several agents take that and get immediate price reductions. All of the reviews that we've gotten on rebusuniversity.com, by the way, have all been five stars. Our other flagship product, the Certified Team Agent with Jeff Cohn out of Omaha, Nebraska, has been selling off the shelves. Everybody wants to know what happens when you peel back the curtain of the Omaha's elite real estate teams inside business. Jeff and I sit down and talk about the nitty gritty of where every dollar that he makes comes from and where every dollar that he spends goes out. It's an incredible candid 10 hour course on how to build the mega team of the future. Use coupon code podcast to get 50% off your first course now rebusuniversity.com all right so what else do we need to know about investing a uh, hundred grand right in uh, an apartment complex that is, let's say, in Atlanta, Georgia, that someone has come to us with, what other things do we need to look for in the operating agreement, in the pro forma, that sort of things? Okay. Two things that jump out. First off is the track record of the, of the syndicator. Has he ever done this before? What other experiences does he have in, in Atlanta? What other experiences does he have in any multifamily property? So that is the first thing that I would look for. I want to know who this guy is because it, when, the, when the going gets tough, you want to make sure that this, this guy sticks around and is going to see this thing through to the end. 
Mm. So and, proven you know, track record. Ask him how many yep. he sold, he or she sold, maybe the names of them so you can look at them, the returns on them. Okay. Yep. What, what else? How, how long should you expect your cash to be tied up for? Well, yeah, that's another question. And it, that gets to, and this should all be explained in the private placement memorandum, what the exit strategy is on that particular deal. So you want to make sure that you understand, um, is this a, uh, you know, a rehab? Is it a, uh, we're going to cash out refi in five years? Is this a buy and hold, uh, you know, because it's an, uh, a great market and the market's starting to take off. So we're going to hold it until the term of the mortgage, seven years. So you, that's a question you've got to see in writing. Now, there's always going to be the get out of of jail free card in the private placement that says this is what we're going to try to do but you know we're we're, you're going to let us do our best have our best efforts to do this if we can't that's just your tough luck you gotta you know your your money is tied up it's a very illiquid investment yes yes yeah i think what charles is saying is you guys got to know you're going to see performers that say you know this is what we're going to return this our anticipated cash on cash and they, number one they should spell out their anticip they should spell out two things number one their anticipated cash on cash so that would say say you know six percent the first year twelve percent the third year it's fourteen percent the third year that you should be able to see all that and then you can also see internal rate of return and what this means uh generally is the big number. They add a lot of numbers, like uh, Charles mentioned earlier, appreciation, depreciation, that sort of thing. The big number is disposition, meaning if they plan on selling it in five years, how much you'll make on that sale, right, with appreciation added to your distributions that you got uh, on the the previous cash-on-cash number that I got. Does that make sense? Right, but I mean, I just want to make sure uh, the, the the disposition fee is, you know, what, it's another fee that you need to look at and make sure that um, you take that into consideration among the syndicators. Now, remember, you're talking about... Mm, good point. What should yeah, that be? Well, here's the thing. Uh, you've got... And this should all be spelled out in the offering, uh, in the op- not in the operating agreement, but it should be all spelled out in the private placement memorandum in the sources and uses section of that document. And so what this means is that the person who is syndicating this deal, like for instance, this group that's doing the uh, the marijuana distribution dispensaries, you got to check to see what is their acquisition fee. If they're out there raising, uh, you know, uh, trying to ra- uh, buy a five million dollar asset, and they put a three million dollar acquisition fee, that means a hundred and fifty thousand dollars they get paid when they close this deal. That's their acquisition fee. And then you read the fine print in the document again, you see a disposition fee, which means that when they go to sell this property in in five years and now it's worth $10 million, they get another payday for $300,000 if they built in a 3% acquisition and a 3% disposition fee. 3%, so, 3%. Yeah, so generally I think you, you really want to look for around 1%. You know, 3% is going to be massively steep, right, I think is what you're saying. 1%, 2% at the max? Oh, I've got I've, – personally, I've received 3% on some of my deals. Uh, I've seen some investors put 5% in there. And remember, the money, that percentage is on the total value of the asset, not on the amount of money that's being raised. Mm, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. So there's all kinds of little fees you got to pay attention to exactly. uh, with these guys, which a lot of people uh, don't even think of. And then, and then on top of that's the management fee, right? If they're doing the management themselves rather than outsourcing it, 
there, there could be a, a, a wad of profit added on for that as well. Like what, what is a general guideline you could give us for, for management fee? Okay, now understand what you say when you say management fee. We've got to be very particular here because at the beginning of the conversation, we were talking on a different area about the property management fee. What you're now asking about, I think, is the asset management fee. Because remember, they're not acting as property managers at this point. Now they're acting as investment advisors and they're being paid an asset management fee on the, on the whole entity. So typically what you'll see is about 1% per year asset management fee paid to the syndicators. And that's acceptable. Yeah, that's typical. Okay, well, that's yep. good to know. You know, th th this has been great because we have a lot of exact things that we have covered here. They're going to allow people to, you know, be able to buy into syndications, going to be able to buy bigger units. I think that one thing that I found, I know in my investing life, is that it was harder. It was much harder to get into. Like I, I was able to go from the little greenhouses to the red hotels with it. Like I bought an 18 unit, which by the way was an absolute disaster because because <laughs> of the management. I mean, before, going yeah. back to the class of what Charles was saying, this was like a D plus unit. I mean, it was built in like the 1960s. It yeah. um, it was full of it, it was just just bad tenants that wanted to pay cash every month every week yeah rather than yeah. a check every month and uh i anticipated a property manager for 20 hours a week ended up she was billing me she had to bill me hourly and it ended up being 55 hours a week a 50 yeah 55 hours a week because everyone wanted to talk to her and pay cash and smoke cigarettes yeah. with her and tell her they only give her 85 dollars this week and they'll give her the extra 15 next week i mean it was absolute freaking disaster manager wise yeah. i ended up selling it but my point is i it, it was ha much harder to get into the bigger red hotels like the the strip center that i own without partners and i have two partners in that one some of these other ones you know we have as many as 20 30 partners in so i don't want anyone to be afraid of partners i always believe that you should have some assets that you can control and then some other assets that you that you probably won't have control of like these syndicated deals but if you're going to get into the syndicated and you want to get into the bigger stuff the more passive stuff you know, know what you're getting into from day one. And hopefully this show, we've, we've taught you some of that. Uh, is there any other, you know, very specific advice you can give to anybody thinking about getting into the multifamily market? Yeah, I, let me just jump off of what you were saying uh, to answer your question. I always joke that I have a bumper sticker on my car that says life is too short to own C-class property. And I, I just don't do it. And this gets to your, your question. The best advice I can give you is to understand that owning property always changes your life. And you have to understand how the owning of that property is going to change your life. Now, I've got a business that I run and I have my investments on the side. So I look for properties that I will forget I even own, mm. that are e easy to own and operate. Define for it, our audience what that what a, what C class means because that that's going to stick in their heads. It, your bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so the way to understand the different levels of uh, the four different classes that we talk about in in a multifamily, A, B, C, and D. The thing you need to understand is the difference between each category is nothing more than time. When somebody goes out and builds a brand new building. 
they don't build a C-class quality asset. They build an A-class quality asset. And that property is an A-class and it commands the, the highest rent because it's brand spanking new. And the people who have the most money who are looking for a, a place to rent are going to look for that place to rent. Then over time, more new properties are built. This one gets a little longer in the tooth. The things start to break on it more. Um, you know, one unit may have had three tenants already that have done some wear and tear on the place. And that is now no longer considered an A-class property. It's now a B-class property. And typically, the B-class properties are properties that we can go in there and buy that are still good, solid assets that, that you get good tenants living in there. They pay good rent. And typically, these properties are for the first time being offered for sale because the people that built the A kept them, held, held on to them. They owned and operated them. And now they're selling them because they're moving on. They're taking them, their chips off the table. Now we go in there and we buy B-class property. And so you're looking at property that's about 10 to 15 years old. That's when you start to get into the Bs. Then you get into Cs, which are properties that are, that are 30 years old, properties that are, that are 40 years old, properties that some of them should be torn down. And that's, that's the C-class property. The C-class residents are, like you described, the people that would prefer to pay weekly, uh, the people that, you know, Section 8. Uh, sometimes C-class property isn't even good enough for Section 8. And so uh, that's what we see with C. Now, Class D are war zones. They are what I call non-performing assets. They are <laughs> what, they are non-cap rate sales. They're, they're, you lose money. And, uh, you know, so that is what I call D-class properties. Those, and, those are the and, four And I'm going to agree with Charles on that. Um, I, I had a, another D-class property that I lost over $300,000 on in my investment. And it was a war zone. The reason that we ended up having to sell it was because there were, there were two murders within two weeks. And the police, uh, basically the government issued us a, a, a couple of, letters that said uh, with the third murder we're going to have fines up to a million dollars and oh it was an absolute disaster so we ended up selling it and and losing a ton on it so anyway so i I, you, you know what's been great about this charles is that we have really covered some extreme exact meat and potatoes anybody listening to this should be if if you're interested in going into apartments you should listen to this three or four times. You should be able to repeat some of the answers and some of the questions that Charles and I just went into. You know, it, it, it's been a great education, I think, for a very concise show here. So anyways, Charles, listen, I'm going to put all of Charles' information on ibendigital.com yeah. backslash D-O-B-E-N-S. Charles, right. thanks so much. Yeah. Good luck to you in Boston, Massachusetts. Next thanks, time I'm Pat. up that way, we'll get together and break some bread. That'll break. be great. That'll be great. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. All five-star reviews help us get better and better guests for your listening pleasure. And... If you have a great review, I'll read it on the show. We are so proud of this show now with over a million downloads in 79 countries around the world. Also, don't forget to buy my book if you haven't already. Six Steps to Seven Figures, a real estate agent's guide to building wealth and creating your destiny. With an intro by Gary Keller. Sold everywhere online books are sold. 
You can always go to pathyben.com and find out about all things Pat Hyben. And don't forget to follow me on social media. All you got to do is type in my name. I'm everywhere and easy to find. I hope to meet face-to-face someday, but in the meantime, let's meet on social media. Thanks again for listening and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.